Syracuse basketball has put us in a world of hurt after a Miami loss. We have discussed it a little bit, of course, on our most recent podcast, but a couple days to digest, and we want to take another look at what the season holds going forward. We'll talk about Judah. We'll talk about the rest of the schedule and everything else under the sun on Locked On Syracuse, and it starts right now. Our Locked On Syracuse, your daily podcast on the Syracuse Orange, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Matt Bonaparte, Owen Valentine with you on this episode of Locked On Syracuse. Thanks for making Locked On Syracuse your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get podcasts. Uh, And today we were supposed to have an interview with a recruit for you, so we apologize that it fell through. Uh, But that doesn't mean the content stops, people. We are the content train, and we're still riding through. The grind Uh, never stops. The grind never stops, Bones. Um, This was a brutal loss last time out to Miami. We reacted accordingly uh, on our last podcast. And and I hinted at the upcoming schedule uh, that Syracuse has to face. It's Georgia Tech, North Carolina, Virginia Tech, and Virginia for the next four games. So not exactly an easy crop. But before we get into any kind of discussion surrounding that, Uh, I want to talk Judah Mintz with you because he is the guy that should be on everybody's mind today. Some people saying that he got ragged on a bit too much. Other people saying he can't be doing that, blah, blah, blah. Um, The question is, should we be worried about Judah? And how far do we really think that he can take this team? Because at the end of the day, Bayheim has said it before publicly, he is the best player on the team. Uh, and he is the most talented guy that Syracuse has to offer. And I don't really think that there is much debate uh, for that. The only thing he doesn't have in his game is the three-point shot shooting just a shade over 17% from three this year. But still grinds out 15 points per game, still passes the ball really well, four and a half assists per game. Uh, two steals a game. He's an incredibly talented player, one of the best freshmen in the country, no doubt. Um, But you see him in games like Miami where he blew it late and he only scored one bucket in the game, three points on seven shots. He just wasn't there. Uh, So the question, Owen, is are you worried about? I'm not worried about Judah as a whole. But there is some worry to be warranted, and I'll I'll give the credit because this is where I first heard it. Stephen Fonte mentioned it, and I I looked into it a lot more uh, after I heard it about looking at Judah's performances against the three ranked opponents that Syracuse has seen so far this season. And the difference is is very much noticeable. He shoots about 43% from the field on the season, and in those three games, so that's Illinois – that is Virginia, and that is Miami now, he is shooting under 30% in those three games. And that includes a not awful performance against Virginia by any means. But when you look at the the Illinois game and when you look at the Miami game, 
He was a combined four for 23 in those two games. He, he's been pushed. And as Infanti said, uh, they do a nice job speeding him up. And in those games, when you look at it, he has had a lot of those instances where the control is not as much there. And we talk about so many times in, in a positive light, his ability to, even at such a fast pace, stay in control enough to have these incredible acrobatic highlight reel finishes. However, sometimes he gets pushed too fast. And in these games, and they unfortunately have been costly, uh, have resulted in losses. And right, you, you think if he has a reasonable game in this Miami game down the stretch, Syracuse wins this basketball game. I don't know if I'm terrified by any means because look at what he does you know, in other games and what he's consistently done. And he's done it often enough that I, I'm not all too worried. It would be nice to see him perform a little bit better against the upper echelon of, of the teams that Syracuse has on the docket this season. And I think that, you know, creates and opens up a larger conversation as to the, you know, the NBA readiness at this point in time. And I think seeing how he performs against the better teams suggests that the NBA readiness isn't quite there, despite the, you know, well, I think it was top 10, if not top five in terms of scoring as freshman uh, at this point in the year. So he is, he's done outstanding and he's got those numbers, but I, I do think this opens up a, a door for a larger suggestion in terms of, you know, what the next step is for him and how long it might take him to get to where, you know, NBA scouts, and I don't think the fans are the ones that decide this, but in terms of a fan's eyes or a coach's eyes and things like that, you know, when he does hit the next level. So this is, he's a young player, a freshman, outstanding, very, very talented. Um, and I, I do think at this level of basketball, you are allowed to say negative things about a player after a game. You do not need to be incredibly harsh, right? It's realistic. You can look macro as well, right? And say, this is a freshman coming in and playing incredible basketball night in and night out and has had a couple of off nights, right? You can critique, but do not push this envelope too far. Uh, I, I think it's, it's something to be aware of, right? This is a kid here to grow and learn and improve. And he has shown a lot of improvement. Uh, in some facets and is starting to get there. And I think he distributes the ball far better at this point in the season than he did, you know, games one through five, for example. I think he's really learning this point guard role a hell of a lot better. You got to remember, this is a kid that's not a point guard. He wasn't a point guard until this year. It's a learned position, a new position for him at this point in time. And I think he's done a pretty solid job in terms of improving that. This was a tough game. It was difficult to watch, and I, I don't think Judah is going to come out here and tell you that he played a good game. So you can have some negative comments in terms of he didn't play well. It wasn't his best. Uh, should he have been in the game or not down the stretch? These are conversations you can have, but there are lines to draw uh, that we, we do need to be aware of in terms of you know how extreme to go with this conversation. Yeah, uh, and – just to answer the question myself, I'm not worried about the kid. Uh, I think he's going to be just fine. And that game, he proved that he has a lot of things to learn. Um, and that, you know, comes to the territory of being a star freshman. You're going to 
screw up. You're going to be, you're going to remind your fans that you're 18 years old sometimes. And, and Beheim said in the post-game press conference that he drove in a little prematurely. And I think we all agree uh, that that's the case. So, you know, hopefully he learns from that and, and kind of remembers that next time he's got an opportunity to tie the game late against a really good team that would mean something big for the season. Um, you know, he said that they were trying to get the ball to Joe on that play, but he was covered. So Judah went in, but it was a little bit early, uh, but he'll learn that. And that's why you have a Hall of Fame coach to help teach you. Um, so I'm not worried about Judah. That is not something that I think Syracuse fans should be worried about. Did it hurt in the moment? Yeah. I mean, were people upset about him? Yeah. But he also came out the next day on Twitter and was like, I don't know. He said something not cryptic, but it, I don't know. It was just like gotta keep going or something like that yeah i mean do you want him to show out in these big games obviously but it's not warranted to really explode on the kid at this point in time right you you think back to when you're playing my when i was playing basketball at 18 years old it was uh an intramural league at syracuse and i think we got mercy ruled in our first game the cool thing about that is when I missed my shot down the stretch, wasn't on television. And there weren't fans critiquing, right? This is a kid he's going to learn. He's going to grow. He's going to get there. Uh, he he will. And I, I like the strides that I've seen in some facets of the game. It's got to expand. It's got to widen, right? But this is it's three months, two months into his collegiate basketball career. Give it some time. Let it marinate a little bit longer. Uh, and – He's going to be outstanding. You can see it in, in the big plays. Uh, the mental game continues to grow. You continue to learn. You continue to take wisdom from Coach Beheim. You know, whether you want him gone or not, right, there is wisdom to be learned by the man on the bench with two lifetimes plus worth of information on what Judah Mintz can provide, right? So you can take that in. You can continue to learn. You can continue to grow. And I expect nothing less from Judah over, you know, the remaining stretch and, and hopefully, you know, another season's worth of play and improvements to be able to watch. Uh, all right, let's take a quick break and then we'll get back to uh, the schedule a little bit. And then I have some other questions I want to pose to you. Uh, but first, let me tell you about betonline.net it's your number one source for sports betting info stats news and analysis get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there from pro football to college bowl season to basketball and the world cup it's all betonline.net and if you love sports podcasts they got those too fastest and easiest way to get your betting info head to the website today use your mobile device to learn more bet online where the game starts okay back here on lockdown syracuse matt bonaparte and valentine with you um, so the schedule, I mentioned it at the top, you've got a Georgia tech team that on paper isn't great, but beat, uh, Miami. So, you know, they have that under their belts and everybody in the ACC can beat anybody this year, especially with Syracuse traveling to Miami or excuse me, Georgia tech. Um, it could be anybody's game. We've learned early on in ACC play that road games for better teams this year are toss ups. Uh, so it doesn't really matter. Um, but you've got a, what should be a battle at McCamish Pavilion, and then you come back home to face UNC the following Tuesday, and then back out on the road to Blacksburg to face Virginia Tech, and then back home that Monday to face Virginia on the home floor. So that's a back and forth, back and forth, uh, and a lot of really good teams to play 
through that four-game stretch. So definitely not an easy stretch at all for Syracuse going forward. The question I want to pose here is what record does Syracuse need? Uh, And we talked a little bit about this the other day, but in this four-game stretch, upcoming four games, what record does Syracuse need to keep tournament hopes alive? Three and one. Because these are all big games. I mean, the the tournament resume is – it's not where it needs to be. To keep a tournament hopes alive in this four game stretch, you got to win three of them. I agree. I agree 100%. It, right? You, you got to, you're at the point in the season right now where for you to make a tournament run and for you to be a tournament caliber team, you either have to win the ACC tournament or you got to start winning games against teams that are better than you. And you also got to win the games against teams that you are equal to or better than. All right. There's no more. You know, you can lose a game to a team that's better than you, right? You you used to, you know, say you you did the job against Miami. Say you didn't, you know, soil the bed against Pitt. You win one, if not both, of St. or of Bryant, Colgate, right? Then you go and you play a UNC team that is, you know, 20 spots better than you probably with that sort of record. You can lose. It's okay. And you can still make the tournament. Right, you put yourself in a position at this point where there's no more forgiving for for losses like that. You you've got to start winning them in order to develop a resume. And the realistic reality, I don't know if that's a is that repetitive? Does that not work? Uh, either way, the reality the right reality now, that is a little bit redundant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a, you know I'm over it. The realistic reality is that we have at this point in time a team that probably won't make the tournament. And it's unfortunate, but it is, it is the case right now uh, to see this stretch ahead and understand that you probably have to win three of four against yes, Georgia tech, but UNC Virginia tech and Virginia, you got to start stealing wins. Uh, And I don't know. I want them to do it, but it's a difficult stretch. You know, the thing about it is, I can see them winning all of these games and losing all of these games. I can see it either way. Yes, and that is, that, my friends, is Syracuse basketball. They could go 4-0, and 3-1, 2-2, 1-3, 0-4. I don't care. You could tell me, and I'd be like, yeah, that's warranted. That's warranted. <laughs> that could make sense. Fine. Right? That is that is the, the nature of Syracuse basketball at this point in time. Um, realistically... I'm, I'm going to say I think they go two and two. But in terms of tournament, in terms of reestablishing a resume that, that looked pretty good up until John Rothstein put us back on the map saying how well Syracuse was, was playing since the Illinois loss before the Miami game. That one hurt. Put the jinx on in its entirety. Oh, I, this is a team that was building momentum. And I think there is still – a, a pile, a, a pile, like some established momentum. It's there, right? They're showing it. They're playing better basketball than we saw them play the first month and change of the year. This is a better team than they were at the start. And I think that's a reflection of the youth starting to figure some things out again. Beheim did not get handed, you know, an easy stack of cards to play this year in terms of figuring out who needs minutes and things like that, right? It took a little bit of time to establish and figure out and see where everybody stands. 
and they're starting to have it and they're starting to get there. And I, I think it's a good sign, but I don't know if it's uh, the classic too little, too late case. And there's a lot of basketball left to be played, but there are some unforgiving losses uh, and a resume that it almost, you need to start lying on the resume at this point to be able to make things up. And you start lying by winning fluke games. I don't care if you're supposed to win. I don't care if they're pretty. That is why the Louisville game, fine, take it, right? Win games. I don't care how it looks, but that's what needs to start happening. Yeah. Um, and just going game by game here, Georgia Tech, Syracuse is better than. They should win that game. It should be a nice road pickup. Again, I could see them losing any road game, so that's not a given by any means, but that should be a win. Um, and then UNC is a tough team, but not nearly as tough as everybody thought they would be. They're definitely beatable, especially on the home floor for Syracuse at, in the JMA Dome. I mean, that's definitely a winnable game with the crowd behind you. Um, and it's, I mean, a Tuesday night, maybe not so much. You're getting a huge crowd. But, uh, I mean, definitely a winnable game there. And then at Virginia Tech, looks tough. Castle Coliseum, whatever. But... Virginia Tech has lost five straight games, you know, and they play Virginia the night we're recording this. So that's a good chance there's going to be 10 straight losses, or excuse me, six straight losses for Virginia, for, uh, for Virginia Tech. Well, sorry, Virginia is ranked 10th. That's why I said 10. Anyway, uh, then there's Virginia, who is an incredibly good team that Syracuse played really, really close. Uh, and that was away. So you get them at home now. There's a chance you win that game, too. So I'm not saying that they will go undefeated in this stretch or that it is probable by any means, but it could happen. Uh, it's more plausible than you think, probably. So, you know, hold out some hope here because this could make or break the season, this four-game stretch of really uh, good resume-building wins uh, that you can look back upon and say, wow, they won that game. I mean, maybe they, they should uh, deserve a tournament run. So we're going to see what Syracuse is really made of in this four-game stretch. Uh, are they a tournament team? Are they not? We'll find out. Um, all right, we're going to yeah. go forward. I've got more. Oh, and you want to say something before I take a break? Yeah, I mean, just so I was, was going to chime in with the uh, – when Syracuse sure. plays Virginia, on the 30th, the national champion Cuse men's soccer team will be in the house. Ho-ho! So, how about that for a winning environment? Sure. Talk about an upset there. I like that. Manifesting, putting it into existence right now. All right. Um, maybe Coach Mack and the boys can uh, sprinkle some winning uh, glitter all over the basketball team, but we'll find out. All right, quick break. This one brought to you by Built Bar. If you're looking for a delicious treat, but you don't want all the fat and calories, you got to try. Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. None of that fake stuff. It's 100% real chocolate. They got crazy flavors like churro, peanut butter, brownie, and coconut almond. And you don't have to go online to get them anymore. You can find them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club. At your Walmart, go to the pharmacy section. You get a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs. At Sam's Club, run in, grab a 13-bar box. You got the hit flavors, brownie batter, and churro. You'll thank me later. Go get a built bar. Okay. Back here on Lockdown Syracuse, Matty Bones, OV with you. Um, all right. Now the question that I think 
is really important down the stretch here because there's been a lot of conversation and a lot of different results with guys like Malik Brown and Benny uh, and JT and Chris Bell. <sighs> Who's got to be this team's X factor? Because right now it is up in the air. And you had a great game from Chris Bell in which he basically helped you beat Notre Dame on the home floor, but then he was terrible at Miami. You haven't seen a ton from Justin Taylor since he dropped 25 against Bryant. And then uh, Malik's been fantastic, and Benny has not been great recently. So really, they're all over the place. Um, Oh, and who do you think should step up? I mean, honestly, I'm going to put Malik aside because we already know he's going to be, you know, in – the rotation significantly for the rest of the season. So really it is between JT, Chris Bell, and Benny Williams. Who should be the guy that they go to for that third option, fourth option on the floor? But I'm going to cop out, and I'm, I'm going to just go out and say I'm sick of trying to figure out which one of these three is going to be the guy that, that steps up and takes advantage of it. And I'm going to say it's just by committee at this point. I don't think it's one guy. If it was one guy, but right, I don't we, think we, that works. I don't I think know. that works. I'm not saying that it, that's. I'm, I don't. I'm not here to offer that as best case scenario. But you're two thirds of the way through the season, right? If a guy was going to establish himself as the guy of that trio, I think it would have happened. So at this point, you you've say got three that, guys but that, I feel like we've seen it later than this. Yeah, I I would love to see it. Um, if I'm going to make the take, I want it to be Benny, but hey, uh, I don't know. I'm going to say, oh, Bones, I hate you for this question. Um, I'm going to say Benny. Oh, but I don't want to. <laughs> but I don't think Taylor's the answer, and I don't think Bell's the answer. That's the issue, is I don't think any of the Well, that's the thing, answer. right, is like none of them have played so well to where you're like, it's that guy. They've all shown, you know, flashes of, oh, wow, he can be really good at times. Yeah. But they've also all shown, well, that guy stinks sometimes. Yeah. Uh, My thing right now. It's tough. Yeah. Just to talk it through a little bit, like, I really like what Justin Taylor has done in, you know, the last four game stretch ish. In terms of taking advantage of minutes, right? He's he's not been outstanding. He's not been incredible in terms of how many points he's putting up. But I think he's he's been effective. He's been efficient uh, and, and able to do some things. So I, I like what he's done. But I don't think I want to see him, you know, in a thirty-minute role by any means. I like when he's in for you know ten to twenty minutes or twenty-ish minutes where he can you know, come in and he's hit shots down the stretch in a couple of games recently. I like what he's done there. I also want to say that whatever Beheim said to Benny on the bench at the start of the Miami game seemed to work pretty well. Benny was decent against Miami. Uh, so if I'm going to answer this after talking around it and trying to wrap my thoughts and brains around what could be an answer here, I think it's Benny and then – would you allow me to say Taylor and Bell can go by committee, or is that copping out as well? Say again? Sorry, I was doing research. You're good. And I say that the answer is Benny in terms of who will step up. Yes, you can. But I want to say that 
Bell and Taylor can attack by committee in terms yeah, of the I mean, two of that's them. That's what we've seen the whole time. So that would just be you the saying two of them have it's been able be to same, find some life. Which is probably yeah. true. That should be what it is. That's what we wanted it to be and what we thought it would well, be coming into the year. So the um, thing is about and your this boy, team, Malik Brown, throws the wrench yeah. in. The thing about this team compared to last year's team is that you had two guys last year in Jimmy Bayheim and Cole Swider that were the X factors, those guys in the wings that could go off. I mean, Jimmy had six 20 point plus games last year. Cole had five. So those and guys Jimmy scored the score. first basket in every game. Yeah, that's true. I forgot about that. He really did. Um, but those guys are always threats to score. Uh, they weren't prolific scores by any means, but if you needed 20 out of Jimmy Bayheim, there's a good chance you could have gotten it out of him. Uh, for, you know, Justin Taylor is the only one of those three, Benny, Chris, and JT, that have hit 20 this year. And that was against Bryant when Judah was out and it was kind of on him to keep them in the game. Um, but, you know, we really haven't seen huge outpouring of offense from any of those guys this season. Uh, so it's just a little bit of a different situation than what I think we're used to. Um, but I think you're right about the fact that it's going to probably stay the, sta- or stay the same, but I just don't know if that's a recipe for success. And if I had my pick, I think it would be JT. I feel the most comfortable when he's in at the three and Malik's at the four. I think that's my favorite lineup. He fouled out at the end of my, at the end of the Miami game. I think if he didn't foul out, maybe there's a, I mean, I'm not saying he changes the outcome, but I just feel more confident when he's on the floor. He hits his open shots a lot uh, more often than Chris Bell does or Benny Williams does. Benny has been hitting the three lately, but I like JT. I just like him. Sorry, triple click the mute button. I uh, I, I like the answer. <laughs> I, I do. And I, I think, and this is not, right, because Bell has had the most recent great game. But I, I think I would lean JT over Chris Bell, even with, you know, the 17-point performance that we saw last week from him. Uh, I like what Taylor's done. He's shooting 40% from three. I think you you nailed it in terms of confidence. I, I feel a little more confidence in terms of his ability to impact the game positively when he's on the floor as opposed to Bell, just because Taylor provides a little bit more defensively, a little bit more rebounding wise uh i do like that take in terms of the confidence with taylor in over bell just seems a little bit better uh so i i do think i'd agree and i I lean that way in this reality uh that we're we're trying to figure out and continue to to work through and i don't i don't think we pinned it right in our preseason episode where we're debating is taylor or bell going to be that guy that this would linger as long as it has, yeah, I didn't. I think that's be the topic this you. deep into the year. I really didn't think so. That's a good point. Um, but hey, here we are. Uh, but you know, um, either they'll figure it out or they'll you know filibuster until next year, and we'll see what happens then. But until then, that's all the time we have today on Lockdown Syracuse. Thank you for listening. Thanks for making it your first listen today and every day for your second. Check out. Lockdown College Basketball with Isaac and Andy. They got you on everything you need to know on and off the court this year. Hear from big name experts, coaches, and players throughout the basketball landscape. That's Lockdown College Basketball, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. I'm Matt Bonaparte. He's Owen Valentine. We will see you tomorrow.